Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The reviews are in of the Democratic Party's first attempt this Congress to solve climate change. Those reviews, eh. More about Congress and climate change this week on Parts Per Billion. Greetings and welcome back to Parts Per Billion, Bloomberg Environment's policy podcast. I'm your host, David Schultz. Big problems require big solutions, as they say, and climate change is about as big a problem as they come. Democrats in the House of Representatives came forward last week with their first attempt to solve climate change since they took control in last year's elections. And some people, including some very prominent Democrats, are a little underwhelmed. To find out more about what is or isn't going on, we went to Capitol Hill to chat with Tiffany Stecker, a reporter who covers Congress for Bloomberg Environment. And let's head over there right now and hear from Tiffany. We are here in the, the speaker's lobby. We're right outside of the House chamber. This is where there was a big vote here uh, recently on a climate change bill. This was H.R. Uh, 9. Um, what did this bill do? This bill passed the House, right? Yes, it did pass the House passed overwhelmingly on the Democratic side. I believe all Democrats that were present voted for the bill. Three Republicans voted for the bill, which was pretty interesting. Well, what would, what would it do if it actually makes it to the president's desk and if he signs it, which that's another story in and of itself, which we'll get to very soon. But what would this bill, H.R. 9, do? So this bill essentially blocks the Trump administration from withdrawing from the Paris Climate Agreement. This agreement was decided on in late 2015, actually adopted by the Obama administration in 2016. It would have set non-binding targets, so this is a voluntary agreement, for the U.S. to reduce their emissions by at least 26% by 2025. And, you know, so for this bill to become a law, of course, as we all know from, you know, Schoolhouse Rock, uh, it has to go to the White House and be signed by the president. So the president would have to sign a bill that would prevent him from doing something that he wants to do. So I don't see that happening for this president or really any other president. Um, you know, so this, what's going on with this bill? Why did they pass this? So this this bill is pretty significant because it is the first major climate bill in a decade. And the last time a big climate uh, piece of legislation passed was in 2009. It was the Waxman-Markey bill that would have set a cap-and-trade system for the U.S. Uh, after that, the Republicans held control of the House. Their climate change was not a priority for them. And so we didn't see these kind of big packages. So H.R. 9 was introduced by Congresswoman Kathy Castor. She's the chairwoman of the Select uh, House Committee on the Climate Crisis. She's from Florida, right? She is from Florida. And she often talks about how she's been personally affected by climate change uh, because of the extreme weather that we often see in Florida that is set to increase, the risk of extreme weather is expected to be to increase with climate change. And she's even said, I mean, according to your, your reporting, that, that this bill is, is symbolic. She knows this is not going to become law. 
Right. I mean, this, there's no companion in the Senate, for one. Uh, there's a Republican majority in the Senate that does not... Mitch McConnell, who's this, um, the majority le- leader there, is not interested in taking up this bill. So, you know, you mentioned that this bill, uh, you know, had support from a lot of Democrats, basically every Democrat. But I get the sense there were some who voted for it. Uh, you know, maybe they weren't too enthusiastic about voting yes. You know, there were some who felt it didn't go far enough. Can you talk about that? There have been some Democrats who say that if you're going to take this moment and introduce a big climate bill, the first one in a decade, make it something big and symbolic and aggressive. You know, set a target, uh, do something that is actually going to reduce carbon emissions rather than force the administration to do something they have no intention of doing. Almost something like uh, FDR's New Deal, but for the environment. Like, but maybe we could call it a, uh, a Green New Deal, right? Ah, that's a great name for <laughs> yeah, it. Just came up with it. David, actually, the Green New Deal, as our listeners may know, uh, is a resolution that was introduced in the House by uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and in the Senate by Senator Ed Markey. It sets an aggressive path to reduce fossil fuel emissions in the next decade. As you know, there was a big IPCC report last fall that said we basically had 12 years to reduce our carbon emissions drastically. And that's the that's the group out of the UN that, that studies climate change. They've been uh, issuing sort of really more dire research, it seems like, every year saying, you know, the, the, it's, it's even worse than we thought. It's worse than we thought. That's right. And this, this last one last fall was really, really a, a shocker for a lot of people because 10 years, 12 years is not a very long time. And there's a long way for not just the U.S., but the world to go if they want to keep warming under control. Okay, so we, we've got, let, let's sort of lay out the, the political stakes here on, on both sides of the rotunda, as they say. Um, Democrats in the House are divided. We have Democrats like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez pushing the Green New Deal, very aggressive package. You have more establishment Democrats like Kathy Castor saying, you know, let's sort of take one step at a time and, and maybe start with a symbolic package. Republicans are in control of the Senate. This is not a priority for them. The White House is controlled by Republicans, not a priority for them. What's next? Where do we go from here? Will, will there be more bills in the House that, that deal with climate change? Or is this issue just going to sort of fade away from the, the headlines for the next year or two? So Republicans historically have not made climate change a priority. But I think they're realizing now that the public is concerned about this issue. And they're coming up with their own proposals that would be more in line with their beliefs as Republicans. So taking advantage of markets, uh, promoting certain technologies to uh, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, nuclear energy is a pretty divisive issue, but it is zero carbon. That's right. In fact, we actually, uh, loyal listeners of Parts Per Billion will remember uh, on the previous episode, we talked with uh, Abby Smith about how Republicans actually are kind of into carbon capture, uh, the technology for sucking carbon dioxide out of the air. The Senator John Barrasso is uh, uh, a big fan of carbon capture. So it sounds like the, that sort of uh, bolsters what you said, that Republicans may be changing their tune, I guess. Well, yes, Republicans are stepping up to the plate and actually saying climate change is happening and we, knew, we need to do something about it, which is a huge step 
from what they were doing 10 years ago. Or, I mean, one year ago. Or even one year ago. So they are coming up with these proposals. Uh, They center on nuclear energy, uh, carbon capture and storage. They are also promoting natural gas, of course, which is a fossil fuel, but it can uh, burn with much fewer emissions than coal or oil. So... There, I think the, to answer your question on what the path forward is, I think there eventually will have to be some kind of middle ground sought. Finally, the, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is next year. You know, we have an election year, and it kind of pushes both ways, and that sometimes lawmakers are very hesitant to want to touch anything controversial in election year. They want to stay, you know, on safe topics. But in the other sense, they also want to be able to go back to their districts when they're running for re-election and say, I accomplished this, I did that, I'm, you know, and that maybe makes them more eager to cut some deals. What do you think will happen on climate specifically uh, next year? Do you think they'll be more eager to come to the table or less? Well, it's interesting to compare the race so far for 2020 to 2016. In 2016, you had debates where there were zero questions on energy and climate change. Now it's among the first questions asked to candidates. We have at least two candidates so far that have proposed plans on how to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Um, I think that it is going to come up a lot more because people are realizing that this is something they need to address. Uh, is it going to be the number one issue? I don't know. Healthcare is still huge. <laughs> we still have uh, a lot of uh, issues that are, uh, you know, a daily reminder to people: taxes, healthcare, those kinds of things. But climate change is definitely uh, going up there. So we're going to hear a lot more about that in uh, 2020. That was Bloomberg Environment's Tiffany Stecker talking about Democrats' plans to address global climate change. You can find more of her reporting at our website, news.bloombergenvironment.com. And if you want to chat with us on social media, use the hashtag #PartsPerB. That hashtag, once again, is #PartsPerB. Today's episode of Parts Per Billion was produced by myself along with Marissa Horn and Jessica Coombs. Nicholas Anzalata is our audio engineer. The music for this episode is A Message by Jazar. It was used under a Creative Commons license. Thank you for listening. I'm Adam Allington. I'm the host of a new show from Bloomberg Environment called The Business of Bees. Here's what you need to know about it. We travel around the country talking to people at every corner of the honeybee ecosystem. This is the largest managed pollination event on Earth. In fact, commercial beekeeping is more important to farming than ever before. But bees are also under threat from pesticides and invasive pests and mysterious diseases. It's sort of like Christmas when you go to the hive in December and you open the lid. You just hope somebody's home. If you're interested in bees too, I think you might like the show. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.